Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Alana Joseph, the head of creative partnerships at HubSpot. Welcome, Alana. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we are very excited. Do you mind catching people up on what HubSpot is and maybe how your role fits into their mission? HubSpot is the number one CRM, and we've really created a a brand based off of this idea of inbound marketing, which is that you earn value. I mean, you earn attention from customers by being of value. And so in, let's see, early... 2021, we really decided that we wanted to invest in audio and we wanted to be valuable to people, especially during uh, the difficult times that we've had in the past couple of years. And a lot of people thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, maybe exploring their, their journeys, their career journeys, taking a different path. And so we realized that there were so many incredible podcasters and creators out there that were really of value to their audience, that were really educating their audience and also giving them some inspiration to achieve their goals and and their dreams. And so we went all in on audio by starting the HubSpot Podcast Network, which is the audio destination for business professionals looking for education and inspiration on how to grow a business. So my role started off as just being the marketing arm of the podcast team. And then that expanded to leading and starting the HubSpot Podcast Network, along with my then manager, Lisa Toner, who was the director of content. And so we grew the network uh, over the last year or so. We started off with five podcasts, and now we have 25. Since then, um, or in between that time, my role expanded again, where I am no longer just in charge of the HubSpot podcast network, but also relationships with creators. So anytime a creator, podcaster, specifically, since that's really where our investment is right now, signs with HubSpot, my team manages that relationship. So sorry, that's been really, really fun. I love working with creators and in terms of how that relates back to HubSpot. So I kind of think about it as like the way our content and advertisement work is is really like peanut butter and jelly, right? And in essence, the podcaster is giving you a strategy. They're telling you how to use marketing to drive your business or sales tactics to drive revenue. And HubSpot is the tool that you can use to execute on those strategies. So within that piece of content, you now have strategies, action items, and a tool to utilize in order to, you know, execute upon those. So I think it works really, really well. Um, And so far, it's been a success. So I'm really happy to say that because we, (laughs) we worked really hard over the past year to not only be of value to our listeners, but also to our podcasters in helping them, um, supporting them as they grow their show. So we've had a lot of success there. And and my job is essentially very fun. Yeah, that sounds, it just sounds extraordinary. 
the growth that your role has seen, not only in regard to the, the, the business HubSpot, but also seeing a podcast network go from five shows to 25 shows in a year. Like this is some serious, this is a large endeavor. Uh, how, how do you feel like your skill set or your personality sort of fit into that, uh, into that growth or into that trajectory and helped catalyze it or helped accelerate, uh, that kind of, you know, dynamic transformation? One, I think that when we started this brand and I kind of looked at other networks, I wanted us to actually be the destination for creators. I wanted our network to be creator first. And that includes building really strong relationships with our creators. We're not just an advertiser and content and just coming together and we give you a script and tell you to read it verbatim. It's more so like we put in the work to set a really solid foundation with our creators to better understand their values, their goals, what they want from the content, how, how they want to be better and how we can support that. And so that's been really fun. I think it aligns to some of my extroverted tendencies, <laughs> which is that I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy talking to people. And so it's been really fun having those connections with our creators where they feel supported and they feel valued. I think that that is really a part, a key component of the success of the network is that we, um, we really value our creators, we collaborate with them on ads. So if a podcaster comes to me and says, hey, like, I really want to try a different ad format. I think this would be really cool. We're game. As long as it meets our business objectives, I am so flexible in how we work with creators, how we collaborate with them. Because at the end of the day, we invited them to the network because we believe in them. We think they're super talented. And we want them to do what they do best, which is to create content. And that includes like our advertisements. So I think that, you know, me actually having a desire to be somewhat friends <laughs> with my podcasters um, as much as, you know, that that works um, and really trying to understand them and, and what they're going for here and then developing programming to support them. So an example of that would be... Um, I, I love I love easy processes, like especially as we thought about scaling. When we built the network, everything was about creating an operational workflow that allowed us to support a large number of shows. So we did that from the beginning, which is why we've been able to scale and grow so quickly. And so part of creating those operations has to take into account the actual creators. So as I talk to them, I'm asking them, what do you need? What support? can I help you with? How can we support you as a network? And so we have like a program, for example, called the match program, where essentially our creators needed more ad funds. So we decided, okay, you come to us, you tell us that you want to run a Facebook ad campaign or whatnot, and we'll match your funds so you can have a more impactful campaign. And in exchange, right, we just ask for your reporting. We then build one knowledge base and we add everyone's reporting to that one knowledge base so everyone in the network can access it. That way, as a network, we can make truly informed decisions. And together, right, you're not experimenting as one show. 
We're now experimenting as 25 shows, and that will really expedite our learning curve in terms of what's going to work in terms of podcast growth, which I think everyone on this call knows is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, big time. That's true. Um, That's such a a wonderful technique. It's such a, a cool thing to be able to give the insights to every show. Like, well, this show did this cool experiment and it turns out to be great. So let's do that with a bunch of shows. And um, it's almost like uh, we had a, a woman on here. What was it? Uh, lift as you rise. It's like lifting all these shows yes. up as you as you grow and as you build that momentum. Um, exactly. It's such a cool thing. Uh, are there any shows or creators that you're particularly excited about or, or maybe particularly have uh, an affinity for? Actually, this is such an exciting time. We are <laughs> launching HubSpot Creators. It's, it's our accelerator program for podcasters, for creators. And so how this came about was over the last year, right, because we've been experimenting as 25 shows, we've seen an average of, I think, 40% growth within six months for each of our shows. And so with that, we can take those learnings and then we can create a program where we bring in emerging talent and help them grow their show. So that's super exciting for us. We have eight new shows in our first cohort. We take in a new cohort every quarter and they have the opportunity to move from the seed round to series A, B, C. It's I love the program. It's so great. It's also another reason I love it is because we get to grow shows that are truly unique and have like a different take and different twist on things. So I would say um, eight is probably a large number to say is like the shows that I'm most excited for. <laughs> but that that first cohort, I'm super excited it includes like Nudge Podcast, which is a podcast about marketing, but he interviews neuroscientists and really thinks about the science behind consumer behavior. Um, I love that as someone who actually is really into neuroscience coincidentally. (laughs) And then um, we have uh, Parents Making Profit, which is all about parenting and running a business, uh, which I love. And it's hosted by two Black men, two dads, which I think is really cool. Um, We have No Straight Path, which is hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and she's a lawyer, and she talks about career journeys, um, pivoting, right, resilience, and it's really an inspirational show that I think everyone can take something from, so I I love that show. Um, We have Work at Life, which is about company culture, how to create a work environment where people feel valued. I think that's a super cool business show, so we have some really cool ones in this cohort, and I'm really excited to start building out more programming to support them as well. Yeah, that sounds incredible. The pivoting yeah. show, the the two. De- I mean, I'm in. This sounds great. It's almost like uh, similar to a television pilot program where you you know you buy a bunch of scripts, you make a handful of pilots, and then maybe one show becomes your you know Friday night at eight p.m. You know, <laughs> like it's yeah, it's yeah. very similar. We hope so. I, I I hope that all of the shows make it through series A. And, and the exciting thing about our accelerator program is that you then just graduate into the podcast network. I mean, they're technically in the podcast network. So it's still a long-term relationship where 
we're not just like giving you funds and then saying goodbye. We're giving you continued support throughout the journey of your show. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. As a creator, what a incredible thing to have a network be like, we want to work with you. We want to support you. We want this to, to succeed. Um, yeah. You might've mentioned this a little bit earlier, but do you mind maybe going in a little deeper on why podcasts? What is it about this format that's so uh, relevant or uh, successful in today's marketplace? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. One, as someone who is a former journalist, um, I love the art of storytelling. I think it, you know, we're all as humans so impacted by storytelling. And in the world of digital media, where I read a blog post in 20 seconds, I'm <laughs> clearly not the only one if we look at the data, <laughs> right? Um, it's nice to have this kind of long form storytelling available to you where you can extract a lot from it, especially if we're talking about business or talking about entrepreneurship. There's a lot of action items that you can extract from 45 minutes of content. And the reason I think that people will stick around for 45 minutes is because you can do other things, right? I can like wash the dishes, I can work, you know, like do that Excel sheet that just takes time. And I'm like listening to a podcast. I can go for a walk, get, get a break from my day and listen to a podcast. I can turn it on during my commute. So it's so, it's like not invasive, which is, it doesn't require much from you as a listener. You're just keeping your ears open, but you can do a thousand other things. I also really love YouTube, right? But YouTube requires me to sit down and watch something. So I can't necessarily do other things in the same way that I can with podcasting. Specifically for our network as well, I think the reason that we've seen a lot of success is also because people want this information. It's valuable in thinking about even uh, a show like Being Boss, which is hosted by Emily Thompson, which is for creative business owners. So say you have like an Etsy shop or a flower shop or something like that. It's for like side hustlers and freelancers. It, it kind of opens up the world of opportunity for you. And I think that in the time that we're in, that is really great content to have to learn exactly what steps you need to take in order to make that side hustle come to life or, you know, if you really love like baking cakes, how do you, how do you do that and like make some money from it? That's not me. I'm not a baker. So I just want to, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fall into that's that, that path during the, the pandemic. Oh, yeah, like the so many people took on, bread. yeah, took on different, <laughs> yeah. different cooking uh, skills. Um, I did, but baking was not the thing. So nice. I think that uh, the information is very timely right now. And because it just doesn't require a lot from the listener, I think it's a really easy way to get a large amount of content that's very useful to where you are in your career. And, you know, with our brand, we say no matter your role or goal, you can find content here. And I think that that's truly, that's, very much true. So not only your role or goal, but like where you are in your entrepreneurship journey, if you want to start a business, maybe you're just thinking about it. Maybe you just hired your first employee. There is content for every stage of that journey um, on our network. Yeah. It, I, I can't help but think of how 
just the word career is being redefined in so many ways and the ways that people are taking ownership over their lives and making money and building out their ideal place is so different. Like it used to be, or, you know, you harken back to this sort of, you know, Norman Walk Rockwell, like you just get a job and then you live in this cute house for 50 years. Um, right. It feels so vastly different. And it feels like this network that you're building is just really taking all those nuances of the ways that we can approach jobs and careers and lifestyles and going, there's people that have done it and maybe have an insight that you can use on your journey. It's it's so cool. Yeah. I, I was listening to a really interesting podcast and I listened to, I listened to oh, a really? lot of them. <laughs> 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 um, and it made me think a little bit differently about, about this, which is for so long, we didn't ask our careers to provide us with emotional fulfillment, right? Like we went to it, like you said, you go to a job, you put in your timesheet, and then you go home and you do whatever brings you joy. And I think that in this time, we're trying to figure out to what extent should my job be bringing me joy and fulfilling me? And do I need my job to do that? Maybe. Maybe I, what brings me joy is like knitting baby socks. And like, I want to do that. I, sorry, I had a friend during the pandemic that she picked up this hobby, which I thought was just like kind of hilarious. <laughs> I mean, you could probably get through a lot more socks in that size than like adult socks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was just so specific. Um but anyways, I, uh, she's a doula. So let me give some context there. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, what I'm saying is you can have a, a day job, for example, and find other ways that bring you joy and figure out how to monetize them. I think however you answer that question, there's no right way, but I think it's a really good question to ask yourself and to think about to what extent does my career or job need to emotionally fulfill me? Um, and if it doesn't all the way, what are some other things that I can do that provide me with just joy? Right. It's such an Which incredible... Which I think is very important to success. Yeah. yeah. And That's it's huge. I find it fascinating because on this show, we've had uh, such wonderful, varied creatives and marketers. Um, and I'm I recall two guests and one of them a, a main component of their role was, you know, a job is a job. I'm doing this because it's a skill set that I have and I'm competent and it, 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 it validates me as a, as an employee in this world. Um, almost saying like, I don't need to get that sort of fulfillment, emotional fulfillment from my role. And then another individual on this podcast was like, I sought out to find a role that brings me joy every single day. And I was like, that's the spectrum that we live in now where all of those are valid and all of those are so, uh, all of those are represented in every sort of career choice, which is so cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, My job is pretty fun. I feel very grateful for that, but <laughs> I still have things I do outside of work that just bring me joy. Yeah, yeah, as you should. Um, can you talk about... Uh, Maybe if you were to, if if someone you know 
knew was to ask you for advice on how to start podcasts or how to maybe think about starting podcasting as a as a marketing tool or as a you know a way to dive into a new channel what what do you think what advice comes up or what do you think you would say hmm i think it goes back to like the first question that at least i asked myself when it comes to content creation or curation which is what is the value that people need like what do people really want and need and then starting from there and thinking okay how can i package this into a podcast into audio format and then from there i think is trying to figure out a format that's going to make you stand out i think you know and if you look at the top business charts everyone has a pretty similar format so i would say thinking about some new cool ways that you can tell stories that not only maybe drive you know your business but also are providing things, providing strategies and tactics to people that they actually really, really need. Um, yeah, I think there, there's so many, there's so many opportunities. So it just requires imagination. So I think taking the first step is like, what's the value prop? And then to like, how can I use creativity and imagination to package this in a way that people want to receive it and they enjoy it? Like, how can I, we were just talking about joy how can I share my joy about, you know, what I, what the business I built, what I love to do? How can I share that joy with people and help them? I think that that's a really great place to start. Yeah. I think that's spectacular advice. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Can you talk about uh, the things that you factor in when making creative decisions and maybe uh, separately operational decisions that you have to make? Yeah. So we, as a network, right, it's, it's part of being of support to the creator. We have kind of minimal editorial input. We have our HubSpot original shows like My First Million and The Hustle Daily. And we have very talented producers that make more creative calls. My job is more so to create an environment that allows for creativity which means creating operations and processes that are really easy. So you don't, you can spend more time being creative and thinking through your content. So that's kind of more my job is creating those processes that just make it easier for your show to be discovered, right? And when we are driving traffic to your show that you've spent the time to make really high quality content so that people hit subscribe. So I think that for me, like what goes into creating those operations is talking to my creators and figuring out what they need, like what's going to make their job easier, right? And I think they feel really, hopefully they feel grateful to have that support. Um, and we just try our best to create whatever we can so that they can do what they what they do best, which is make the great stuff. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, cool. I'm wondering, like, and I, it might be hard to sort of put into words, but when, can you talk about the moment that you're like, yes, this show is great. This deserves a platform um, versus a show that maybe needs to 
develop a little bit more or work out some kinks or maybe doesn't quite hit that. Like, can you talk about that line um, between shows that you can sort of wholeheartedly get behind and go like, yes, let's, let's develop this. Let's give this creator a platform. Let's work with them. Um, because I feel like that's such a, it's such a mysterious place that exists where like some shows maybe don't make it and other shows are wonderful. So now we work with shows at all stages. So we can work with a show before they even have an episode. <laughs> they could just have like a demo. <laughs> right. Or a concept so, or something. Right. So I would say in a lot of our shows, even the established ones, there's always room for growth. There's always places and and like you said, like kinks that we need to work out that that will always exist no matter how successful a show is. What's the factor that makes you take a risk on a new show? Uh, oh, right. That makes you say like, yes, let's let's put investment and let's put uh, our, you know, our support behind this show. I think for me, it is talent, right? Like, are people, one, passionate? Do they love what they do? Do they have something very cool to say, right? And, you know, have they reached a certain level of success where they can give really solid advice to people? Sometimes it's just energy. I think everyone brings something very different. As I'm listening to a host, I'm just trying to pick up on their level of passion and where that passion comes from, right? And a lot of people have a really interesting stories. And I think that that's when the story comes into play, their career, how they got to where they got to, all of those things. Uh, for No Straight Path, we listened to her first episode before we brought her into HubSpot Creators. And she talked about... Um, she graduated from Harvard Law. She went to Stanford undergrad. And her first episode was about failing the bar, which I felt like was a really just interesting, transparent first episode right. that clearly I felt like people would trust her because she was being so um, upfront about her own uh, resilience and her own path and what that looked like for her. And so in that, in that episode, we were like, we, we love this show. We want it to be a part of our network. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. It's such a, a beautiful thing to hear high achieving people speak candidly about maybe their, their failures or their missteps or what, what, you know, went wrong. Cause I feel like that's so often what leads us to what goes right is, is our, you know, is like you said, that's where resilience comes from is, is maybe things you don't, things don't go as planned or don't go as you expect. And then you have to be scrappy and figure out how to right the ship. Yeah. Do you I mind? was at South by Southwest. Sorry. No, keep going, please. Okay. I was at South by Southwest and I attended a session with Guy Raz from How I Built This. And I, he shared that Part of the success of the show is really about humanizing the people that he's interviewing and talking about failures or missteps is a really key component to making the listener feel like, because we all have ups and downs, right? We all have failures. Yeah. Failure is a part of your journey. Helping the listener feel like they are tuned into a very real conversation. Yeah the human experience. And I think that 
when I hear hosts do similar things, then I think that there's there's going to be some success there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind only because we didn't really chat about it earlier, um, but can you talk about a little bit about your journey and how you found yourself at HubSpot? Sure. Um, so, hmm, how I found myself at HubSpot. I graduated from USC and I knew I wanted to be in media. And so I started working for NBC Universal and I was a writer after a while and I loved that. But what I found is in all of the articles I wrote, whether it's for E! News or Huffington Post, what I enjoyed most was the stories of business owners. I really liked talking to entrepreneurs. And so I was like, hmm, what if instead of a publisher, I worked for a brand and discovered this whole world of content marketing. And I was like, oh, this is this is exactly what I want to do. It has the storytelling component, but I'm working with a brand and driving results. Like this is so fun for me. And so I started on that journey um, as a like contractor and consultant because I really wanted to get as much experience as possible. So I was working with some startups and this and that. And then HubSpot reached out to me and I was so excited. I was so excited. It was a pretty long interviewing process, but so worth it. And I understand why they have this long interviewing process because everyone at my job is like weirdly nice and talented. (laughs) I don't know how they achieve that, but it's like 100% of the people I work with are incredible. So I understand why they do that. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so I started off in this journey. And as I said earlier, I started off on the podcast team as the marketing arm. And it was just, it just felt super right. It was all the things that I loved, storytelling, media, um, yeah, working with creators, all very cool stuff. So yeah, and that's how it, I got here. That's it's it's really awesome. Um and in addition to working with creators, you are a creator. Can we shift and talk a little bit about your own personal channel and um, sure. and what you do maybe on your side hustle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a side hustle yet. It's more like a passion project <laughs> yeah. slash very long extra to-do list. Um, so yeah, I started going back to that conversation we had about emotional fulfillment and my job is very fun and I really like it, but I got to a point in my career, especially as I was growing and supporting these other shows that I was like, I really want to make content for my community. Like I was having all these conversations at brunch, right? <laughs> Where the good conversations happen. Yes. <laughs> yep. And I was realizing as I was sitting at the table that the, at least at that time, that my friends, we were all the only Black women on our team. And we all worked for tech companies predominantly. And it was a very specific experience that we had. And it felt in the moment when you're having an experience, right, as the only woman or the only woman of color, it feels super lonely because you're the only one on the team. So you're like kind of looking around the room and as much as you have like great allyship, right? If you work with wonderful people, then you do have that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they fully understand. That's not 
for a lack of effort. <laughs> it's just, they don't, maybe don't fully understand. And so it can feel like a really lonely experience. But the reality is that that one Black woman is on every single team <laughs> across the country. So it's not a lonely experience at all. It's actually a very kind of universal experience, especially as we talk about women in the workplace. And then when you add on that second identifier as a woman of color, it matters, right? It matters when you look at the pay gap. It matters. You can see real data that shows that Black women specifically need more support. And so I kind of went to YouTube and I was trying to find this content and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. And so for me, doing what I do, I was like, well, I can create this. I have now the skill set. And I was also super inspired by my creators as I was kind of sharing, like, do you think I should do this? It's like, yes, you need to do this. Let's do it. And I was stuck for a while where I was just doing drafts. I was like, this is awful. This is horrible. Oh, <laughs> God, I can't, I can't publish this. Until one, one host messaged me and said, send me the YouTube link tomorrow. Please hit publish right now. Like, you can't keep doing this. And so I was just really inspired by the people that I work with and then also really inspired by my friends who are super successful, but also don't have this kind of support. And so the goal is really just to like, no matter whether you're the only one on the Zoom or the only one in the conference room, you're not the only one. And the goal is to make the experience feel less lonely and to feel like you have a community and you have support. And the way that I do that is just being transparent about my own career journey and where I'm at and things that I've, tips and tricks that I've picked up over the course of my career. So I guess I haven't really shared the name of it. So the name of the YouTube channel is called Ambitious Black Woman. It's all about everything that it takes to be um, ambitious, Black, and and woman, and, and everything that goes into that. And so it's been really fun. I think I'm in the beginning parts of this journey. I just launched like a few weeks ago, and it was a very soft launch because I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to do all these like hard skill things. And thankfully, I have really wonderful people that can that help me from time to time. But I wanted to get into a groove before I gave it the, you know, Alana, the <laughs> marketing side of it. <laughs> so right now it's just about me creating things that matter to me. And the audience is small right now, but I get the, the like lengthy text messages, lengthy Instagram DMs of people telling me their experiences and how the content that I'm creating is resonating with them. So for me, it's already really successful. Even if like, you know, I don't, I don't even have a hundred subscribers yet. Yeah. So for me, it's really about that emotional fulfillment. It's not really about right now monetization or it's one about me figuring out how to be a creator. It's also made me super empathetic and to creators and helps me better understand. It's actually making me better at my job. Because yeah. I understand everything that it takes to be a creator, what all the steps are, and the incredible hard work that it requires. And so, yeah, that's where I am with that. I, I'm I'm really loving it. Hard, but it's fun. Yeah, it's yeah. such a beautiful mission. And it's such a, 
what a wonderful thing to put a yeah. lightning rod up and be like, hey, anybody out there going through this same experience um, and just building community. Uh, not to bring the conversation down too much, but I went, I went through a cancer experience in my early 20s and I put a storytelling show on YouTube and the same thing happened where I started connecting to all these yeah. other young people because I feel like it was a very similar, uh, a lot of the words you used was very similar where I, as a young person, you don't know anybody when you're going through it. And like, you know, when you're in treatment, right. it's always old people all around you. And so you feel like there's this, isolating factor of it. But once you start sharing your story and telling people, people all over reach out. And it's just such a wonderful, um, the internet, what a lovely tool to connect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. it has a lot of power when you, when you wield it for great, it's yeah. great. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> when you do good things with it, it's great. But you know, yeah. the internet is a wild, wild place, but, um, <laughs> I, I I love that you created that content. Um, and I think that it probably really made an impact on people. I hope to do the same um, a little by little. I know pretty soon I have some some cool content coming out just about my journey and, and whatnot. I even read my own diary entries. On yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I such... read my early diary, diary entries from my early 20s. And it's hilarious. <laughs> Um, really funny. Looking back, I've never even read. I'm reading them for the first time on camera, and I'm never like anytime I write something, I ever go back and read it. So I'm also crying, laughing at like where I was at that time and what I was saying. So yeah, that's it's. I'm very transparent. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I that. love that. Um, yeah. So you're involved in both curating and managing storytellers and your storytelling yourself. Um, do you have any lessons that you've learned just in sort of, well, I'm sure you've even shared many lessons, but just as like both a creator and a uh, kind of a producer of creators, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it just gives you such a wealth of insights behind the scenes of this process. Yeah. Hmm. What have I learned? So many things. <laughs> Hard to pick one thing. I mean, we've considering the amount of that we've grown, and we haven't even uh, May will be one year. So that's a lot of growth, and so that's a lot of learnings. I would say what I'm learning now is uh, just all the work that it takes to create really great content. And I'm so appreciative of our creators for the way that they package their content, all the thought that goes into creating content and um, how successful they've been in not just, you know, making content and throwing it up there, but being very intentional about how they guide their listeners. I think that that to me is really inspiring and I've learned a lot there. Also, work-life balance when you're making content creation. It's, I mean, for, for most people, right, if you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to, you know, the end result, but there's so much that goes into the planning, into um, asking questions before, our brainstorming, all of that, and then you record, and then you edit, and then you have to market it, right? So then you have to like actually tell people that it exists. Um, all of those steps 
uh, require a lot and require talented people in, in all of those steps, whether it's your editor or your marketer or the talent itself or the person you're interviewing, all of those things are, are components into amazing content. So I think I've just learned that um, creators, I think that in, in our world too, right? Talk about like influencers and creators. And there's sometimes there's like some negative things that are said <laughs> in terms of like how hard this job is. This job is hard. Like it requires a lot. And even if you're just scrolling through your Instagram and you see that ad and you're like, oh, another ad. There so much went into that ad, like from the brand giving that influencer a brief on what needs to happen in the ad to the influencer creator making that content and then publishing it and then writing the caption and all those. It does take a lot of effort. So I just want to give a round of applause and, and kudos to all the people out there that are making content. It's it's not easy. So good job. Our next segment is stand with the brand. And we're going to dive into, I think, a TV channel that a lot of us watch, HBO. So it's new, new show. Season two, Euphoria, mm-hmm. has been the buzz because it was released earlier at the beginning of this year. And among all the characters, one that has been a huge focal point in the second season has been Rue, who actually struggles with drug addiction. There's some mixed feelings with how HBO has presented it this season, just because some people feel it could be a negative character for kids to look up to. But on the flip side of the coin, others have expressed that HBO was just simply showing what addiction actually looks like in real life without sugarcoating it. Um, from not only Rue's perspective, but to those closest to her. Uh, HBO is actually signed on already for a third season, and a lot of its fans are on pins and needles to see what is next for season three on the show. So my question for you is, do you stand with the brand HBO or do you take a seat? Hmm. I think I stand with the brand. One being the show isn't for children, so I don't think that it's fair to say that Rue isn't a good role model for kids when I don't think that the character was actually created or the content was created for kids. So they probably shouldn't be watching the show. <laughs> that's, my, that's why they have those little first. like, uh, this is what's going to appear yeah. in this show. Maybe, yeah. maybe as a parent, yeah. do some content yes. moderation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like rated and I'm pretty sure yes. there's yes. also a disclaimer that says like there are some very tough, difficult things that are going to happen in this show. Like, please keep that in mind. So I want to like remove the conversation, remove that component part from the conversation because I don't necessarily think that's super fair to HBO. Um, I also very much believe as a marketer in humanizing marketing and storytelling. Great storytelling happens with authenticity right? When we're telling very real stories of really what happens. And I think that what they're trying to do is really humanize that experience, not only for the person who has the addiction, but for the people that are in the environment of that person. So how 
the person with the addiction is affecting the people in their family, their friends, et cetera. I really love this show. I think it's a great show, uh, but I do think it can be difficult to watch as an, as an adult, right? And so even if some of those things are triggering for you, probably not the best show, but for, for the audience that doesn't have as much exposure to drug addiction, what that looks like, the opiate, um, opiate crisis. I think I said that wrong. <laughs> the opiate crisis, there we go. Um, I think that this is a really good way to give a little light to that. And it's unfortunate, but the reality is unfortunate. So do, you, do we want a watered down version? A watered down version wouldn't allow us to have good action items. I think if you are feeling appalled, then that's actually a good feeling. Like let's do something about it for the ruse in the world or to prevent other people from having this experience. So I think that like a negative reaction is just as valid, but instead of channeling that energy towards HBO, maybe channeling that energy towards um providing support to those that are struggling with addiction, I think that that would be a better use of that energy than necessarily, you know, going after HBO itself, who I think is just telling us the story. Yeah, that's so beautifully put. I agree with that because I feel HBO has had a number of shows that are controversial in the past or present that they've put on. And, um, I don't think kids should be watching this show based on the rating and everything, but I think it is a good conversation to honestly have at home or just among people and just so show support. Um, Cause I feel like every one of us has potentially without even realizing it been connected to someone who has struggled with addiction and kind of getting rid of that shame around it. And instead providing services and offering up, you know, things like, care facilities or, you know, help at, you know, when it comes to like therapy or other things like that, or if you're in a family that struggles with addiction, being able to break that mold and go on a path that you want to go on to and realizing that you don't have to go down that same path that maybe if your family struggles with addiction, um, I think that's a huge piece that they hit on. And I really like the show, but I agree there are, there's, I watched some of it actually this weekend just to out of curiosity, cause I've seen it kind of floating around and on social media, there's so many things, but there was some episodes that were really difficult to watch, but I think it's because, uh, it wasn't sugarcoated. It's just how it is in reality. And that's just like a slice of what's actually going on, uh, within the world and maybe even our, in our backyards as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like no one's asking, like, are the Sopranos good role models? Like, (laughs) you know, I think it's just because, you know, Rue is like a young lady that people are like, she should be, have a more like conservative character, but that's not the reality. So I don't think it's fair to just go after euphoria, right? You have to go after the the yeah. other shows too, if that's your <laughs> argument, right? If that's your argument, yes. then to be fair, you should also yeah. have an issue with The Sopranos. And I do, yes. th- I mean, I do think I've watched a show 
both seasons. I think it's uh, an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredibly challenging show because it's, uh, I feel for the first time a separation from like the youth. I feel like I've, I've aged into a different demographic and I look at it more like, is this how young people are now? Um, so I kind of have like a dad without being a dad perspective on the show, but I find it fascinating. And I do think it's a very empathetic show to each of these characters and their flaws. And they're all dealt with in such, uh, you know, like you see their experience with it, their friends experience with it, their parents experience with it and how it filters through all those different lenses. And I think in that way, uh, it just creates such a compelling narrative. I think that's my my take on it. And I think it, it is so vital to depict uh, addiction in a nuanced and, and specific way and, and to have people that maybe go like, what's wrong with people? Have a little bit more insight into that. It, it might not just be this black and white issue. It might not be like addiction or not addiction. It's like a, it's a yeah. very complex phenomenon that's sort of, uh, it's a huge problem in our society right now. And I feel like the show just does a cool, it, it has a very, very unique way of, of depicting that story. For sure. I mean, they, yeah. it's not just addiction. They deal with domestic violence. Uh, yeah. A lot, a lot, a lot happens in that show. And I think yeah. like you, I, I feel kind of sad. I'm like, oh, you're too young to be going through all these things. But the reality is that pain doesn't care about your age, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that it's a great show. I, I think it's great. Awesome. Well, we have three questions to finish our episode right. with. The first is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Made a YouTube channel. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for the very first time I have done so I've had so many first um recently one is like editing video um creating content creating content based off of like who I am as a person and then on the HubSpot front also working with emerging creators different value set different things that they care about different support that they need so it's a first for me but I'm that really excites me I like I like first because that means that you're growing and developing and if you're not having first then you need to go out and get get a couple yeah get a couple first yes. audience Love uh, that. if you had one thing that you were to bring to a show and tell what do you think you would bring yeah, I have a few um, in my house, none that you can see here, but in my house, I have a lot of art made by my family members. So in my living room, I have two paintings by my dad. Um, on, in my office, I have a large graphic print from my brother, who's an artist. And then my Nana made me a quilt, well, not a crocheted blanket, but it fits a king-sized bed and has very intricate geometric shapes. It's like very, very intricate. And it is something that I love and adore. So I would say anything that is made by something that I love, someone that I love. And I'm fortunate to have a lot of those things in my house. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And the final mm -hmm. question, uh, if you were to... to give advice to a younger version of yourself, maybe a, a version of you in college or younger or right at the beginning of your career path, 
Uh, what piece of advice would you give yourself? It's okay not to be Bill Gates at 23. Most 99.999% of people are not. Um, I would say give yourself grace. Like allow your life to unfold in the way that it's supposed to unfold. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect or to, you know, achieve success. Success is a journey. It's not a destination. And I think I would definitely tell my younger self that to have fun and enjoy where you're at and not be so consumed with where you're going. I was one of those people who would go on LinkedIn and find women that I really admire and look at their LinkedIn profile and like actually chart out like how many years they spent in various positions. (laughs) And I think that that is like the so unhealthy, <laughs> so <laughs> wildly unhealthy. <laughs> like, please don't do that to yourself. Please do not compare your journey to someone else's journey. It's just like not, it's not realistic and you're yeah. not allowing who you are as a unique human to like have your own light, have your own journey. So all of those things, just give yourself grace, have fun, enjoy where you are. And if you work really hard, you're like a good person and you treat people well, you will end up successful. That's what I believe. I don't know. (laughs) I love that. It's such a beautiful way to end the episode. Um, Alana, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. It's such a joy. I will say that you guys are such great hosts. I Really, really enjoyed recording this episode. If you're listening to this, I'm so excited you're listening to this. Please go to hubspot.com slash podcast network. We'd love to have you listen um, to this show, the one you're listening to now, and the other shows. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.